part of the media ministry of Cornerstone Church. You can listen to this and other messages on our website at www.corner-stone.org or by subscribing to our podcast. Well, this morning we are going to, I do feel like, uh, who's that, the great Melinda? The guy that used to get out there and walk between canyons. Uh, one time he did at the, the old Brave Stadium. They, they put a wire across there and he walked across, you know, Brave Stadium with just, uh, you know, a, a stick uh, to, to help balance him. And I kind of feel that way this morning because, folks, if you ever hear anything except that our only hope is Jesus Christ from this pulpit or from me, please exit me out the door and never let me come back in. Okay, our only hope is Christ. At the same time, one of the things that when we really begin to focus on the work of Christ and the hope that we have in him is even back in Paul's time, he had to correct church after church and said, okay, then we can kind of go do whatever we want to. I mean, there was one church that said, okay, if grace abounds in sin, then let's just go sin even that much more so there'll be more grace. And Paul had to come back and say, no, no, it's because of this saving grace that you really want to aspire to holy living. So this morning, I'm going to kind of walk a tightrope because it really is hard for me who has a heart for just the gospel. The gospel is the only thing that saves. At the same time, I want to preach responsibility because the Bible preaches responsibility. And I can tell you this, as parents, we need to be teaching responsibility. Today, we begin that four-part sermon series, and, and today we're going to talk about choices and consequences. And you might say, well, you know, I grew up in a house that very much reinforced this choice and this consequence. How many of you grew up in a house like that? And sometimes there were some reinforcement methods that your parents used, uh, various ones that kind of helped remind you that, okay, you make this choice, here's the consequence of that. And yet we live in a culture in a day where it doesn't seem like that's quite as novel as it was at, at you know, even just a couple generations ago. And you may be one of those. In your house, there's choices and there's consequences. And yet, we live in a culture that somehow says, okay, just, you know, we want the kids to be happy. Let's make sure that they're kind of happy. And happiness is much more the target than responsibility. And so it puts us, even as Christians, in this kind of place, okay, do we kind of go with the flow of the culture that wants just a whole bunch of happy kids, or do we go with what the Bible says of raising children that truly will be happy. I, I would like to use the term joyous because they're finding their lives on solid truth and the truth of the Bible. So that's kind of where we are this morning. And we're going to open up to Deuteronomy chapter 30. We're going to the Old Testament. This is at the end of Moses' life. If you've been in church before, you know that Moses was a great leader that God used to lead his people, the Israelites, the chosen people, out of captivity of Egypt after 400 plus years of captivity. And he used Moses in this heroic way of leading those people out. Well, the story goes along that uh, there's a choice for them to be able to go into the promised land. And he sent out some spies and he says, go spy out the land. And those spies came back, 12 of them. And two said, hey, we can take it because God has already promised us this land. But 10 of those spies said, no, we went in there and there's giants in the land. There are fierce people. They, you know, we can't do this. Well, unfortunately, the people sided with those 10 instead of the two. And so for the next 40 years, they're wandering in this place called the wilderness. They're just kind of wandering. If you kind of charted it out, it looked like, you know, they had lost their GPS or something because they're just wandering around in a big circle, wandering for 40 years. Probably comes to the end of that 40-year period. 
And it's time for God to kind of open up the doors of the promised land once again. After this judgment has come of this wandering for 40 years, now it's time for the the people of God to go into the promised land that God had promised them. And and when we see this happening, all of a sudden Moses finds out that he's not going to be a part of that. That he's not going to, that he's going to kind of die on this side of the river. And he's not going to be able to go over. And, And with that knowledge, he addresses the people. And this is part of that address. Last words are important words. I mean, when you have somebody that you know that they're going to pass away, I mean, they, the doctor said, you know, it's probably the last hours, and, and they still have the, the comprehension to be able to speak, I mean, you hang on those words. Those are words that take the balance of that entire life, and you kind of hang on those last words because you know, hey, this is the summation of what this person has learned in life. And that's really what we have today in this address in Deuteronomy chapter 30. It's the last words, part of the last address that Moses gives to the people of Israel because they're going to a place where he's not able to go. What's the connection with us as parents? Parents, there will be a day... For some, it will be college. For some, it will be marriage. For some, it will be their first job. Where there's going to be a place where your children go where you're not allowed to go. And that is not to frighten us, but it is still a scary thought. Because it means that under our tutelage and under our you know, uh, leadership, that we're to prepare them for that day. And that day may be 18 years old if they go off to college. It may be 20 years old. It may be at whatever time when they leave. And there's a place that they're going to go that you can't go. And all of a sudden you're going to wonder, have I done enough? Have I instructed? Have I really put a foundation of belief? And so this is really relevant to us as parents and grandparents today of preparing our kids. And can you imagine the weight that Moses, you know, he's trying to sum up all this direction to give them encouragement for the future and, and strength and, and knowing that, okay, you know, man, in just a matter of days, I'm not going to be able to, to lead them anymore. That's the setting that we come to. And what does he tell them? Basically, I want to share with you two things that he tells us in this um, text today. And the first thing that he tells us, my summary, he says, basically, life is filled with choices. Would you agree with that this morning? that life is filled with choices. Uh, For example, this morning, you have a choice. I could stay home, I could come to church. And for some, it was almost an automatic response to that. For others, you kind of wrestled with the blankets a little bit. For others, it was like, okay, I have to go. You know, that's what my wife told me this morning. You're the pastor, you have to go. And so it's one of those things that, you know, so, so we have choice there. And for some, it was an easy, almost an automatic choice. For others, it's a struggle. For others, it's like almost against our will. But we had a choice there. Well, that's what we find here. We open up this passage, and, and Moses says, look, I want you to get this, and it doesn't take a rocket scientist to figure this out. Now, he didn't use the word rocket scientist, but look at the words that he did use. Deuteronomy chapter 30, starting with verse 11. For this commandment that I command you today is not too hard for you, neither is it far off. In other words, what Moses is saying, look, man, I could really get deep right here. I mean, I'm about to pass away. These are going to be my last words. And so I could confound you with some deep, deep stuff. But he said, you know, what I want to share with you, really a child could understand. Really a a child must understand. He said, it's not too far off. And, And he goes on and look at what he says in verses 12 through 14. He said, it is not in heaven that you should say, who will ascend to heaven for us to bring it to us that we might hear and do it? And he said, this isn't something. Remember Moses when he went up on the mountain 
And he heard from God. He said, this isn't something that you even have to ascend up to heaven. You don't even have to go to heaven for this. This is almost common sense. That life is filled with choices. Uh, Then he goes on and says, neither is it beyond the sea. Now, to the Israelites, that would have been a big thing. If you look throughout Israelite history, and you look even to this day, Israel is not known for their naval power. They've just never been a people of the sea. The Greeks, yes. The Egyptians, yes. They have been people of trade. The Israelites, oh, let's stay at home. Why risk it out there on the seas? And, and so when Moses says, not even across the seas do you have to send somebody to get this, but he was saying this, look, this instruction and this wisdom and this truth is right here. You can grasp this. Verse 14. But the word is very near you. It is in your mouth and in your heart so that you can do it. And as easy as that is to understand, you know, this this wisdom that he gives, look what he says in verse 15. See, I have set before you life and good, death and evil. In other words, he says, you know, when we make choices, some choices, as we said a couple weeks ago, really are not so much critical choices in life. They're a choice. But if you're trying to decide, as we said a couple weeks ago, between Fruity Pebbles or Fruit Loops, not so sure that that's just really going to have any life-shaping kind of choices in, in your life. But what he's saying is here, look, I, I want to, every choice, though, that we make in life, and especially the, the bigger choices, have before us life and death, good and evil. There's right choices and there's wrong choices. Now, folks, at this point, I, I wouldn't really expect anybody to disagree with that. I, that's why he said this is common for man to know. He said, look, this just makes sense. And yet, how many of you have children or grandchildren, or you were a child or a grandchild, that decided that you wanted to live life to make choices without really suffering those consequences? We've all been there. But, you know, we got caught doing something. Mom and Dad punished us, maybe... You know, they, they did this form of punishment or this, or this uh, form of discipline and correction. Or maybe for some of us, it was punishment. And, and so they had these different things. And we said, why am I getting a spanking? Or why can't I go to the party? Or why can't I do this? We made the choice. We knew kind of that it was the wrong choice. But when the consequence came, we wanted to kind of separate ourselves from the consequence. Folks, that's not this era. That's not your child. That's not just you. It's been going on forever. So Moses tells us right from the beginning, life is filled with choices. He says these choices really end up taking us to a place where it's life or it's death. Not just in the physical sense, but in the emotional sense, in the relational sense, in the spiritual sense, all these different places. I mean, you'll make choices this next week that may not end in physical life or physical death, but you'll make choices that really could lead to a place of relationships blooming and having life? Are relationships kind of souring and, you know, having an end to them? So he begins to impact us with this. And up to this point, Moses has been there to lead them, to coach them. And at this point, he's not going to be there. He says, look, I'm going to pass this over to Joshua. He's going to be leading you. And so he wants this truth to sink in. It's a scary thought to every parent and every grandparent that at some point in time that our kids will exit the doors. Not that they won't ever come back, but that they're really out there without a 24-7 observance. Does that freak you out a little bit? Yeah. 
And this one, it, you're just not going to let it happen, aren't you? Q, you're going to live at home for the rest of your life, right? Yeah. You know, it really it is a scary thought. And, and part of that is the wisdom of knowing, okay, we need to prepare. The, another part of that, folks, I, I promise you, is, is just the lies of the evil one, you know, that want to bring condemnation to us. And see, that's where the hope of the gospel, that's the hope, that amazing grace that we're going to get to at the end. Because one of my biggest fears this morning is not that we wouldn't grab hold of this truth and really apply it to our lives. One of the fears that I would have this morning in the flesh as a, as a pastor who just loves people is that there's somebody sitting out there going, man, I've blown it. It's useless. I've already raised my child and I didn't do those things. Man, there is hope in Christ. Whether your kids are 3, 13, 23, 33, 53, there is hope in Christ. And yet, while we have our kids, let's make sure, let's now go back to the responsible side. We need to make sure that we're training them up in the right ways. And so we begin to see that he puts before this first truth that life is full of choices. But look at the second truth. Our choices are filled with consequences. Besides salvation, besides leading our kids to the path of the cross and salvation, I truly believe that the second most important lesson for us as parents to instill into our children and for grandparents to instill into their grandchildren is cause and effect. It's biblical. It is right there. The New Testament has as much about reaping and sowing as the Old Testament does. It's not just an Old Testament concept that when grace comes along, he just kind of erases this whole reaping and sowing. No, we see it throughout the Word of God. That choices not are only there in life, but that choices are filled with consequences. Look at verse 16. If you obey the commandments of the Lord your God that I command you today, by loving the Lord your God, by walking in his ways, and by keeping his commandments and his statutes and his rules, then you shall live and multiply, and the Lord God will bless you in the land that you are entering to take possession of it. To sum that all up, he's saying obedience brings about blessings. Obedience brings about blessings. Please do not confuse this, Christian, that no bad things happen to the people of God. The Bible says it rains on the just and the unjust. Bad things do happen even to people that follow Christ. The the principle that he's exhorting here and that he's putting out there is that that when we're obedient in our life when we have this life of obedience not out of the law but out of love that's what he said in verse 16 that out of love you you love your god and it's out of this love of your god that you're obedient not because i have to do this but out of this love relationship your obedience he says out of that obedience will be blessings can there be blessings even when the world is falling apart around us yeah That's what he's talking about. Not that all of a sudden you do the right thing and everything's just going to line up. To use the world's terms, the stars will align and everything's just going to... No, that's not what he's saying. He said, man, even when you're going through the darkest of days, the most challenging times, in this love relationship that you have with God, in obedience just to the truth of his word, that there's going to be a blessing. Folks, I've been in hospital rooms when I've seen that to come to life. 
when the doctor came in and it did not have a good pronouncement for the family, and yet that family could rejoice, even in that sad moment, because they said they knew, they just knew in their heart that that person had committed themselves totally to Christ. And it was a, a family founded on the Word of God and the promises of God and the hope of the gospel. And even in that darkest day, they were able to say, Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. It doesn't mean bad things don't happen to us, but it means that even in the midst of that, God has not disallowed the sun to shine, even in that darkest moment of our life. He says here that there's a blessing. But Moses did hesitate to tell them what would happen. I uh, did not hesitate to tell them what would happen if they, if they weren't obedient. He wasn't just saying, okay, man, obedience, you get blessed. And again, please hear me. This is not prosperity preaching. This isn't, okay, you give God a dollar, he'll give you $100 back. This is not what he's saying. He says, no, in this obedient life, you're going to be blessed. Why? Because you're going to be blessed with the comfort of God. The comfort of God will be your blessing. And that's the difference between joy and happiness. In a world that is striving to make happy kids, what we need desperately, folks, are joyful kids. That's what we're going to talk about next week. How do we teach our kids to fail, but to fail biblically? Not that we're wanting them to fail, but they're not always going to make the team. They're not always going to get the job. They're not always going to get the A. How do we teach our kids in, in this world that, that really has some repercussions and not everything just kind of lines up? How do we biblically do that with joy? Or, or is everything built on, hey, being the number one, the fastest, the tallest, the strongest, the smartest? You know, last time I checked, guys, there, there could only be one smartest, one fastest, one tallest. And so if our kids are to have a chance, if they're going to have a hope in the midst of that, we have to teach them to deal with the biblical. That's next week. But it really connects here because look what he says in verse 17 and 18. He goes on to tell them, but if your hearts turn away and you will not hear, but are drawn away to worship other gods and serve them, I declare to you today that you will surely perish. Now, does he mean that the first time that we do something bad, that we fall over that? Well, Sharon, uh, the plan of salvation this morning with, with, with one of ours that's going to be baptized in the next couple of weeks, one of our uh, children here. And I was talking about spiritual death. And I said, that doesn't mean that the first time we tell a lie to mom or something like that, that we fall over dead. That's physical death. No, spiritual death is this estrangement from a holy God. And, and Moses said, look, if when you choose to make choices that are disobedient to God, that kind of, he said, chase after other gods, which would have been a real big thing back in that day. But don't think that it's not a big thing here. We might not, you know, teach our kids, hey, there's Zeus and all these other gods, these Greek gods, but we could very much, materialism, success, being the fastest, the smartest, the tallest, we really could set that up to be something of a god. And it really could be something that we would worship and become an idol. And, and so Moses says, look, I, verse 18, I declare to you today that you shall surely perish. You shall not live long in the land that you're going over the Jordan to enter and possess. If you don't follow God, know that there's a consequence that comes in your life. Obedience brings blessing. To sum this up, he says, 
Disobedience brings evil, death. Those words may seem a little harsh, but he didn't apologize for them. I guess if you're 120 years old, you've been leading the people for 40 years, you get to say whatever you want to. Have you ever been around old people, older, older people that have lost their filter? You know? They don't, really, they don't really care if it hurts your feelings or not. They just said, this is truth and I'm going to say it. And that's where Moses is. I think it's a godly inspiration. I don't think he's in the flesh here. But he, he's not using the filter. He said, you know, how do I say this where it really won't hurt a lot of people's feelings? No, he says, Look, here's truth, guys. Obedience brings blessing and disobedience brings things that begin to break in our lives. Now, let me put a word of correction in there. This is the tightrope that we're walking. That doesn't mean that if you get sick or if you get this or you have a flat tire next week or the transmission goes out, that this is part of this curse. I knew I should have went to church. I'd still have my transmission. That's, that's not what he's saying. It's, he's not trying to connect every evil thing and every bad thing in this world. Folks, we're following people in a fallen world, so bad things, rain is going to fall on the just and the unjust. So I, I don't want to get off track. I just want to make sure that we don't start coloring in a place that is not biblical so that we think that, oh, my goodness, I made this bad choice. And so all of a sudden, something that is totally unrelated. Uh, you know, I have this uh, uh, temptation to, uh, to argue with my wife. And the next day I have a flat tire. It's probably not connected unless she went out there after that argument and said, that will teach him in the morning, you know. So there could be a connection, but there's probably not a connection. What he's talking about, this death and destruction that comes, is our connection with God in the sense of, you know, not that Christ leaves us. Again, that's where we're in the, we want to keep it in the New Testament format. But has there ever been times that you as a Christian, you had no doubt about your salvation, about how Christ has paid for every sin, and your only hope is in Him, and yet because of sin in your life, you felt disconnected from God? See, that can happen to the Christian. Theologically, it doesn't happen. Why? Because it's totally secure in the work of Christ, and it is finished work. It is finished. And yet that relationship seems to be kind of strained. That's what Moses is talking about here. Look how black and white he makes this truth. Verse 19. I call heaven and earth to witness against you today. Uh, That's kind of an Old Testament thing. It's actually a legal phrase. And what he was saying is, you know, a lot of times if they went to trial, they would have to have witnesses. And so it's one of those things... He says, I call heaven and earth. They didn't, a lot of the other people in the, the region would call upon their gods. I call upon the God of Zeus, the God of this, to be witness. And that's how they would kind of make their oaths. Well, the Jewish people, because they believed in one true God, didn't make that kind of oath. But, but here he is saying, Moses is saying, look, I call upon heaven and earth. I'm calling in witnesses to the truth of this matter that I have set before you today, life and death, blessing and curse. Therefore, choose life, and your offspring may live. Now, what does he mean by that? Number one, exactly what you read. I put before you life and death. No, this choice is going to add more life to your life. This is going to add death to your life. But do you notice how he kind of brings the next generation into it? 
I would say that maybe as much as half of my counseling over all these years has dealt with what we call generational sin. And the, the heaviness of one generation onto the other. To where this person is dealing with something that really has been in the family for quite some time. A fear of rejection, fear, fear of you know, unworthiness and all these different things. And, and they just didn't one day, you know, look and their hair was messed up and they felt unworthy. But a pattern that had been kind of led on and maybe went back generations and generations. That, that's what he's talking about. Look, when we put life and death in front of our people, you know, in, in front of our children and we put, you know, blessings and, and, and curses, we have to realize that those choices that we're leading and instructing them in are going to affect our children and their children. Is it not amazing? Is it not heavy? And I don't mean this to be a weight upon us. And yet it, it, it can be. I, I don't want to little the weight. I, I don't want to put it all on man and not on God. But does it not overwhelm every parent in here today that has young daughters and sons that you are growing up future wives and husbands? And so much of what they're going to know about marriage, so much of what they're going to know about this is how a man loves his wife as Christ loves the church. This is how a woman encourages her man in Christ. They learn from us. I don't say that to put a weight upon us, but isn't it weighty? Where else are they going to get the instruction? I mean, do you want them to go to YouTube? How to be a husband. Do you want them to go to their friends? Or do you want them to see that through all of our imperfections, the hope of the gospel working in the midst of imperfect marriages? That's what I want my kids to see. Yeah, you got a daddy who's really kind of messed up, and you got a mom who's near perfect, but not totally perfect. And yet in this, in our imperfection, we run to the cross. We run to the cross. We run to the cross. That's what I want my kids to know. One is married and married well. One is about to get married, and it looks like she's very much married well. And yet they are fallen people in the fallen world. As good as the, my girls are, they have you know, married some imperfect man. And, and so it's one of those, yeah. Dads, can, dads of girls can say that. And uh, so it's not going to be perfect. What are, the, what are they going to need to know when they hit that? We were talking to our oldest daughter and she said, and, and man, they're in Christ. I mean, they really, they're probably some of the most solid kids I know. And yet they said, man, this first year was so challenging. <laughs> but they knew to run to the cross. That's what brings life. Parents, if you're going to lead your kids to, uh, to maturity in life, you must impress upon them. That's what it says earlier in uh, Deuteronomy. I think you may have covered this. And that word impression means leave a mark. It doesn't mean in a physical way, but it means that, that you, as I've said before, when, have you ever sat on a lawn chair, you know, the old kind, and you had on shorts, and you stood up, and you got waffle design on the back of you? That's why, because, because you, you took your weight and, and you sat on something that made an impression and you sat there long enough. If you sit down for two seconds, it doesn't do that. You sit down for two minutes, it might do that. You sit down for 20 minutes and it leaves an impression for a while. That's 
what Moses is telling us. That this instruction of our children is that that's why we do it day and night, coming and going, and all the things that you covered last week, Jeff, when you talked about that. So let's think what is happening here as we wrap up this morning. The people have been wandering for 40 years. They were previous to that in captivity for 400 years. And by God's grace, now they have the opportunity for life and for freedom, a homeland. When we got back last week, after just being gone for a few days, it was so good just to be home, to have a home, to be home. Think about it. These people, this generation that he's addressing, for 40 years they've been wondering, they have not had a home. They had places where they slept at night. God provided that their shoes never wore out, that their clothes never wore out, and that their food never ran out. His grace was always abundant for them. But one thing that they did not have for 40 years was a home. Now God says, look, I'm opening up this promised land so you can have a home. Can you imagine the excitement of that? And you would think, oh, man, this is just automatic. They're always going to make the right choice. If that's what's at stake, to have a home and have fellowship with God. And yet we see that they're just feeble people just like we are. And that there are times that they just got, you know, very short patience. God, I sure wish we had some meat. He was providing food for them, but it was the same food day after day, manna, day after day. And they said, man, you know, right now, some meat, some good old fried chicken. But they didn't say that. That's kind of the Southern Interpretation Bible. Uh, said it would taste really good right now. And they didn't find their satisfaction in Christ. And you and I live that life. Our kids are vulnerable to live that life. And that's where we come back. And we need to instill upon them, impress upon them that today God has put before us life and death, blessings and curse, and that we help them along the way. Question, what, what motivated Moses to share this with the Israelites? And you can speak out loud. What do, you, what do you think motivated? Here's his, his last words. I mean, it goes on for a couple of chapters. He, he addresses them on a couple of different things. But in, in his last words, what would motivate Moses? What is his motivation to share this pretty heavy, this pretty black and white type of instruction? Hey, there's before you is life and death. Well, what do you think is his motivation? Yeah, love. And we see that. We see that. that he's, he does it because he loves these people in the way that you love your kids. And when you, they, you're going to send them off to what they think is their promised land and, and it's going to be filled with giants. And that's why we have to ground them in here. That This is an act of love that he has. And that's really the motivation behind it. That's why we are not, you know, whenever I use that term, you know, we want to produce Christ followers and not real followers. Let, let me explain that real quick. I, I do want Christ followers that follow the rules. Okay. But if you have a Christ follower, a true Christ follower, guess what? They are, for the most part, going to follow the rules, but for the right motivation because they have a relationship with a holy God and they follow in that way. You can have a rule follower and that not be a Christ follower. And here's the tragic thing, guys. In the end, and even in the middle, and even near the beginning, there's a price to being just a rule follower. I've had to do funerals before of rule followers, more moral men than me. Not that I have some high morality, but, you know, people that I knew that, man, this man, he was a good guy, but he did not have Christ. And he will spend an eternity separated from God. 
We can't water that down. We can't look the other way. We can't say, well, you know, I'm, I bet there's a special exclusion there for good people. There's not. I said before you today, life and death, Christ or hope in yourself. And those are your two choices. And in those questions and decisions, we have to understand those choices bring about consequences. Here's where the rubber meets proverbial road. At what age do children learn this great lesson? Cause and effect. Choices, consequences. As early as possible. Will they walk that to perfection? No. But here's the thing, guys. Here's the thing. When you teach a 9-year-old or a 12-year-old or a 14-year-old this lesson, they may lose a relationship. They may lose uh, privilege. They may not be able to do this. There may be you know, something that they lose. But the stakes get really high when you're 28 and 32 and 35. Because if you don't learn this lesson, folks, it's a lesson like gravity. You can say all day, well, gravity doesn't apply to me. Go to the top of the church or to the tallest tree and jump off. And, and if you really believe, hey, gravity doesn't apply to me, I don't have to tie in choices and consequences and jump out of that tree, I promise you the law of gravity takes over. And that's what Moses is saying, man, this law instructing your kids from a very early age, because the price when they're 8 and 9 and 10 is that, yeah, they may cry for a day, they may cry for a week. But when you're 28 and you're 32, and your boss says, uh, we no longer need your employment here because you're proverbially late, you're this, that, and the other, you don't follow instructions, and they've never seen that their choices have consequences, then there's a, a mortgage, a job, a family... As hard as it is, I, I, I get it. We don't want like to see our kids suffer. I get it. But they've got to learn this lesson. If there's disobedience in their hearts, and I have not found the, the parent yet that said, you know, I have the perfect child. They have never been disobedient. I've not seen that. The whole theological concept of, you know, that we're born into sin and that we are sinners. Every parent knows that because they've seen it testified by their children. And, and here's the lie that we start to believe. We're going to close. Here's the lie that we believe. Well, I just don't want my child mad at me. I just want, you know, I don't want them to be unhappy. Can I say this with the greatest of love? Your child does not need a friend. They need a parent. They can get plenty of friends. They, need, they only got two parents. And they need you to take that seriously. I, I promise, if we do it right while they're little, not that everything is going to turn out perfect, but you will have a friendship as they get older. Because they will call up when they have children. I, I think there's been many phone calls over the centuries. Well, ever since phones were invented. Where, where, where they called up and the only words on the other said, on the other line, from, from son or daughter to parent, I'm sorry. <laughs> and then hang up. Because in that moment, they realize what they put their parents through. And that's not to, to down on kids. It's just those are lessons that we have to learn. 
And, and so sometimes we, we, we kind of get to believe that the most loving thing is just to, to coddle the child. And it's not, here, here's why it's not loving. Number one, it is not to the child's best benefit in the long run. Here's the other thing, and I say this with all my heart. It is so unloving to other parents when you don't do your job as parenting. You throw every other parent under the bus. Well, Johnny gets to go. Billy gets to, Sally gets to, and guys, that's part of the fellowship. Not that we're all going to parent the same way, not that we're all going to make the same choices. My, my girls, you know, even to the church kids, well, you know, they would always pick out the deacon's kids and, you know, and all the, the other minister's kids. Well, they got a phone, and they're only, and, and we said, well, sorry, their parents can be wrong, but we're right. No. <laughs> So, I, so but, they, but, but when we just allow that, we really are not helping out other parents. I would imagine that there's some here that have some older wisdom and said, yeah, there was a day that, man, my mom didn't have to find me. My dad didn't find me. If my neighbor found me, it was all over. Were those bad days or were those pretty good days? That's not old-fashioned. It's actually pretty biblical. That's why he brings us together as a family. Because we're all at different places of this parenting thing, grandparenting thing, and we need that help. We need that encouragement. Because there's going to be times that I so desire to throw that pillow underneath the fall of my child to kind of buffer that fall when really they need that skin knee at 9 so that they don't make that same choice at 19 or 29. It's hard. It's hard. That's why fellowship is supposed to be intergenerational so that the older ladies can talk to the younger ladies, that the older men can give wisdom to the younger men. That's one of the joys that we have here in our fellowship is that we have the generations, but we need to make sure that we're using this. Um, last thing, guys, let's bring it back to the cross. Because that's what Paul did. Do you realize in, in Romans chapter 10, when, probably one of the greatest uh, uh, chapters on salvation in the whole Bible, he, he quotes Moses in Deuteronomy chapter 30. He's talking about salvation, and he uses this life and death and this choice thing uh, right there in the middle of talking about salvation. Here's the bottom line. Is it too late? Never. With the hope of Christ, never. I've seen 80-year-old men come and turn their life to Christ. I've seen... You know, boys and girls in their early age come to Christ. I've seen parents who were kind of, you know, didn't have it all together in a biblical sense. They were kind of clueless. uh, And all of a sudden, Christ came into their life and they found a direction to be able to start leading their family. It's never too late. The last thing that I would ever hope that somebody would go from here to this place is that Satan would lie to you and say, it's your fault because your children have made some unwise choices. There may be some generational sin that you have to contend with. But I want to leave you today with the hope that is in Christ Jesus. And if you have a mom or a dad that taught you right from wrong, choices and consequence, and they're still living, it would be very appropriate for you to call them today. So, you know, I'd never want to take that for granted. I didn't agree with it. I didn't like it. But understand that it's biblical and it's right. If you did not have that, then you say, God, can I be the start of this generation? 
If generational sin is a thing, what about generational holiness? Can I pass on the hope of the gospel to my children and their children and their children? And and you're the start of that generation. There's always hope in the gospel. There's always hope for new life in the gospel. Let's pray together today. Father, we love you. We thank you. And Father, today, we thank you for your grace, amazing grace. Father, we did not... uh, parent well because we just made all the right choices, Father. Uh, Your grace of giving us your word, giving us the ability at those times when our heart was being torn out and, and we wanted to be the friend instead of the parent and you gave us the strength to be the parent. Father, your grace was sufficient in those times when we were just doing tough parenting. For those times that we failed, and we chose to be the friend instead of the parent. Father, your, your grace forgives and you allow us to hear your truth today so that we can start fresh and anew. Thank you, Father, that in you there is always hope for tomorrow, no matter what yesterday had in mind. After 400 years of slavery, 40 years of wandering, Moses gave the Israelites hope. And after the slavery and the bondage of our lives and our own wanderings, even as parents, you today give us hope of new life, even for our parenting. Thank you, Father. Thank you for amazing grace. Thank you that today may be the very day that we would draw that line in the sand and say, I I commit myself as much as I can to lead my children in this way. By God's grace, by his help, by his strength, I want to be that parent that has a generation after generation of Christ followers. We love you and we thank you, Father. Lead us now, Father, as we just have this time of reflection, this time of thinking about how great of a God you are and how amazing your grace is. We ask all this in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you for listening today. We hope this message was a blessing to you. To learn more about our church or our media ministry, you can visit us online at www.corner-stone.org or find us on Facebook.